Hello, and welcome back to Two Bar Stools and a Knife, talking about the hospitality industry then, now, and in the future. Coming to you from FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at the Bacardi Center of Excellence, I am Professor Nathan Dodge, joined by Professor Brian Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Hello. what's up, Dodgy? How are you guys doing today? So far, so good. You know, uh, South Florida is, is, is pretty warm out. It's uh, but I'm, today. I'm definitely it is a uh, bright, sunny day. I'm excited for our guest today. We've been having a hell of a lineup. So oh, yeah, uh, no. it's going to be a, a great old conversation. We're switching gears a little bit. So. You know, last week we had an amazing number of listeners for Pete Carr. Hopefully they've told people, their friends, to listen and subscribe. Make sure you remember we are available on all podcast platforms. But most importantly, please leave us a review on iTunes so others can find us. We still have our very loyal listener in France. She oh, bonjour. Or she bonjour. 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 Bonsoir. 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 We need to learn some more French, I think, yeah. in honor of our French listener. Yeah. Today we're, today we're going to stick with Italian, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Buonasera. 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 We now have a, uh, a listener in India. Do we know any Indian? No. And a couple people in the UK were listening last week. So uh, to them, I say, hello. That's my, uh, my British. So welcome. Thank you for everyone um, abroad. Welcome to those in the United States and especially in our backyard of South Florida. Uh, we really do everything we can to get you the best guests. And after some ups and downs this week, we really think we have found a, a pretty interesting guy. We look forward to talking to him. But first, now you guys know that I like to, to ask a stupid little question before we start. So, oh, Jesus. Oh, I know Brian's and Brian's is taking pictures before people eat. But what are your pet peeves? Like, what's the thing that drives you guys nuts? And and Lars, even before we introduce you, I'm going to put you in on this conversation. What are the pet peeves that bother you the most? Because I've got one that bothered me last night. Go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear everyone else's first. Come on, Brian. Mine's always like lipstick on glasses. It's no attention to detail. Uh, I can go on forever. Now, remember, I've, I've traveled a lot with uh, Lars, too, so they're going to be very similar. Yeah, attention to details are biggie. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Boy, what about you? Well, it's, a, it's similar attention to detail, but more in lines with water glasses, keeping a water glass full, or worse, someone saying, would you like some more water? You don't need to ask me. You know, it's free. Fill it up. How about, are you still working on that? Oh, oh yeah. that drives me nuts. <laughs> no, the Working one that I had lot. last night, no. someone, um, I asked what's good, what's the specials, and they said the special of the night was salmon. And I was like, oh, just can you pronounce the word salmon, please? Just learn learn the words, learn how to pronounce things. That, that was my biggest one last night. So. All right, I'm getting off my soapbox. Brian Connors, what is going on in the world of Bacardi right now? Thank you very much, Professor Dodge. Uh, all things good in the world of Bacardi, particularly with Bacardi Teach. Uh, that's been roaring. We're over 700 uh, courses taken now. Uh, and just a quick little reminder for that, because we get some great feedback. on uh, some of the feedback where people want to see more. I can guarantee you we're going to be delivering more content. It just takes a little bit of time, particularly during these interesting times, to create the content, edit the content when we don't have our studios. So we're, we're hustling to be on that one. The 
Bacardi internship program is also coming up now. Please feel free to uh, follow up with Christina or any of the girls, uh, excuse me, ladies uh, that are in career services, because by the time this airs, the information sessions will already be gone, but we'll be offering two fantastic, uh, God, how many they have, but uh, we're going to be paid internships with Bacardi coming up. And that's an amazing opportunity, particularly for individuals that want to take that beverage route, that spirit route. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff going on with that. The Bacardi classes are filling up nicely. Uh, Keep an eye on that. Again, there might be some slight changes, uh, but we're looking pretty darn good at that. Also, Bacardi Talks, uh, we have an invite out. I'm going to keep it top secret right now for our next guest on Bacardi Talks. But keep an eye out for that in late July. We think that's a good amount of time. During the holidays, it's kind of this 4th of July holiday coming up, getting people on board with that. But we have a, a great dynamic hospitality leader that we're looking forward to having that. So Bacardi Talks is also going very, very well. Well, that's enough on the Bacardi world. Let, let's crank this thing up there, Mr. Dodge. Wait, 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 one more thing What's before up? we leave what? Bacardi world and leave yeah. FIU. Um, I did want to say that scholarship deadlines are fastly approaching. Uh, there's, there's tens of thousands of dollars for scholarships. So if you are a student looking to figure out how you're going to pay for classes next semester, July 12th is one major deadline. And there's about 20 different scholarships that are ending on July 12th. So make sure that you do get in and and try to get some of that, that scholarship dollars to pay for your education. All right, now we can get started. So I am really excited. I don't know what to say about this guest. Wine educator, journalist, editor, wine nerd, movie star, language expert. I'm sure I'm missing some stuff. He will tell you about it. Please help me to welcome the VP of Education for the Psalm Journal, Lars Light. Hello, Lars. Thank you. Welcome, sir. Very, very welcome. Honored to be here. Absolutely. Publication. There you go. There it is. There you go. Perfect. So we're excited to be uh, hearing about all the good things with the Psalm Journal. Uh, the, taste, the tasting panel. Tasting Sorry. panel as well. Both great. Actually, you know what? Those are bait. And, you know, full disclosure, Lars and I are old friends, uh, old colleagues. We're not that old. old. Long time. Long yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're good friends. Uh, and uh, I think that the tasting panel as well as the Psalm Journal are both great industry-driven publications that do, uh, you know, it's stuff we'll still read. And that I'll pick up, and you know, I see you nodding your head. You know, it's true. It's something I'll still go out of my way to find. So, well, there might be some interesting articles coming up in that in the near future. So, keep an eye out for that as well. So, I get to kind of start this off, Mr. Lars, and we kind of go around. And I'll throw it over to Nathan Dodge and to Chef Massey. We Great. kind of keep keep the questioning in our own uh, world, our wheelhouse, if you will. Uh, so, I get to kind of again. I I got the opportunity to know you the longest, but so how does an individual? All right. Go and get a degree in journalism, become a journalist, become a linguist expert in the language of Italian, as well as the grammar of Italian. Uh, and then suddenly you're now in the wine industry for 30 plus years. How does that all happen? You know, I'm still trying to put the pieces together and figure it out myself, Brian. Uh, I always like to say I, I took a 34 year break from journalism. Uh, I started out as a, as a cub reporter at the Oneonta Daily Star in upstate New York. It was owned by Ottawa, which at the time was a Wall Street Journal paper. I don't know what's happened to it since. I'm sure I'm going to get some emails telling me that. And then uh, went to work in Italian wines. I worked for uh, the House of Banfi in many different positions, lived in Italy for a few years, uh, dragged the bag, as we say in the industry, to sell wines around Westchester County, New York. I did some marketing. Uh, I did international travel, which was wonderful. 
Um, in Italy, I did some sales in uh, on the European market, as well as our hospitality right there on the estate in beautiful Montalcino, where Brian and I got traveled together. Did some public relations work, uh, press relations, which seemed like a logical uh, thing at the time. Put together our great team dedicated to luxury wines, and um, then decided it was time to get back into journalism. So here I am at the Somme Journal having fun again, combining you know, my two loves, I guess, in a sense, the, the writing journalistic side of it and the wine side of it and the experience from three decades. In the, let's, let's not forget also the dean. You were the dean of the... Uh, I was Crew the Art- dean of Crew Artisan College. This is, uh, true. <laughs> this is true. And for those of you that don't know what that was, it was an amazing uh, educational opportunity. Uh, actually, Lars, I was boasting to Nathan while we were getting uh, ready for the show on your incredible ability to translate almost simultaneously and how your brain doesn't explode, I don't know. So, Listen, you know my theory, Brian. I think all men can do this. Here, you know, one thing coming in, send the same thing out, because otherwise, how could we listen to our wives and watch the game at the same time? <laughs> true. Very, very true. So, Nathan, let me throw it over you. And so there we've lost industry. all of our women listeners. Thank no, you. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, Lars's wife is absolutely lovely, so no. She puts up with him. Listen to her. I swear I do. And she swears she listens to me too. <laughs> so, so Lars, I know that you were part of the, uh, the movie Psalm and Psalm into the bottle. Um, and first of all, before we even get started, let's cheers everyone. What is everyone drinking before we get started talking about all this fun stuff? Uh, guess first, Mr. Lars. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm drinking a beautiful Valpolicella uh, called East Saltari from uh, the area around Verona. A lot of people expect Valpolicella to be a very light, chillable summer wine, which it is and it can be. This one isn't. This is beautiful, full-bodied. Uh, I'm actually, it's actually a vintage 2009. So really? it's a Valpolicella with age on it, but it's got some beautiful freshness and body. And I'm going to roll this right into our, our little, I have a little bit of Parmigiano-Reggiano with me right now. And uh, I'm going to keep this bottle going into our grilled la- uh, rack of lamb tonight. Ooh, nice. that sounds good. Uh, I'm going. I'm going a little lighter side. I like my uh, my Sab Blanc in the afternoon. Uh, this is a, a Napa producer, actually. Uh, that Lauren has these great. Uh, they just magically appear at our doorstep. But uh, I'm going. I love a wine bit. that just shows up. Yeah, yeah. that's the best I'm wine. Starting, I'm starting a little bit lighter, but uh, a lot of you guys know I do like the light, dry, crisp in the afternoon. Johnny boy, what are you drinking? Yeah, John. Well, you know, it's summer in Florida, and so I've got a cold Sam Adams. Yesterday, I was drinking one of my Fela Napa wines, the Gruner Vettliner, which is lovely, but uh, today it's a cold beer. Have you had the Sam Summer Ale, Chef? Yes, love it. Delicious. One of my favorites. Yeah. Poolside, that's what we're drinking today. Well, I just reached into the cabinet and I grabbed out a bottle of uh, Russell from uh, Prayer Rock Vineyards, their Pinot Noir 2017, won double gold in um, Oregon a couple of years ago. So it's actually quite nice. One of our friends uh, runs the American Fine Wine Competition, so she likes to hook me up with wine. It's, you know, thank you, Good Sherry, for hooking me up with wine. Appreciate thank it. you, Sherry. Thank, thank you, you Sherry. <laughs> All right. So back to my question, Psalm and Psalm in the bottle. How are these documentaries really changing the industry? Because I'm assuming people are watching them saying, I could do that. I want to do that. And then they realize that they can't because it is a lot of work. But really, what's going on in the industry that's changing? Well, I think the first one kind of scared people. Uh, The first one was about these 
four or five, I don't remember anymore, four or five guys that were studying for the master's exam and how grueling it was, uh, really punishing the details they had to remember, the sleepless nights and memorizing maps and and going through the whole nerve-wracking process of the test itself. If anything ever was going to discourage the, anybody coming into the industry, that would have. But it piqued people's interest, and they wanted to learn a little bit more. So Psalm 2, Into the Bottle, um, went a little bit deeper into what happens in the industry. And I think that's the one that you need to see if you want to get into the industry, first of all, because I'm in it. So, you know. <laughs> kidding. Um, but it's because it's the one that shows most of what's going on behind the industry. It shows what I love about being in this wine world is, you know, these guys, uh, they show up with the film crew and they had an appointment at one of the champagne houses. And okay, yeah, you know, they're doing this out of the goodness of their hearts and not getting a royalty or anything else, but a little bit of free promotion. And so, yeah, we'll open a champagne, whatever else. What would you like me to open up? Oh, anything. We'll film down in the cellars. So the guy comes out with one of the, his last five bottles of something like a 1938 or 52 or something crazy like that and just takes a saber and pops it open for the camera and they all got to drink it together. It's, that's the kind of wine country hospitality that this, this, this Psalm 2 into the bottle really showed. They get me, my, my scene is me driving around. I got the camera guy right here uh, and I'm driving in a car doing some sales calls out in LA and sitting, had a great chat with uh, Piero Salvaggio, my dear friend out in, um, where is he? Santa Monica, I think. And um, just, you know, a little bit of the inside view that I really like. Psalm 3 gets a little bit more into esoteric where you have uh, three or four master psalms start debating what's their favorite wine. And that's always a loaded question. You know, what's my favorite wine? Right now, it's this one that's closest to me. You know, that's that's easy. But in general, the psalm movie series was great because it let people into that world a little bit that uh, was a little bit elusive that nobody really knew about. What do, what do these psalms do? You know, what's their life like? Who are they? What's their personality? Now they have a new feature called Psalm TV. There have been a lot of uh, spinoffs, I guess, uh, different uh, shows on, on, on showing the life of wine. Wine is romantic. Wine is fun. People like it. And I think, I hope what all of these things do is break down the, the barriers, the pretenses of wine. Wine is something for every day. Brian's showing directions. I see uh, how to get around parts of Italy. And the best way to get around parts of Italy is if you're not quite sure where you are, just sit and have a glass of wine. It'll all come together. Relax about it. Don't worry about it. And don't worry, you know, if um, they usually say in Italy, and Brian will remember this uh, Filippo line, our dear friend Filippo Di Bellardino used to say in Italy, if you see somebody who looks a little tipsy, they don't, they never say that person drank too much. They just, they didn't eat enough. You have to have enough food. I, st I still use the line, man. I still use the line. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, I, I love what you're saying, Lars, about breaking down barriers. I think all four of us here are well-traveled. I know you've traveled a lot, in particular in Italy. And I always think we can learn different things from other cultures. And I try to pick up things when I travel. If you could reflect on your time in Italy and the Italian culture, what thing, what one thing would you say that Americans here could take from Italian culture and then vice versa, what might Italians take from our culture to improve? 
Well, well, I think some of you know the top few um, takeaways for me in Italy is, you know, I'm half Italian, so I have that romance for Italy. But my other half, my father's half side of the family, is Austrian German. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. hurry up, get things done. And I found myself at times rushing to get somewhere because I didn't want to miss an appointment. And I'd get there and half the Italians weren't there either. So it was just this <laughs> chill out, relax. You know, I'm a, again, half Austria-Hungarian. I'm half New Yorker. So I want to get things done. But it kind of helps me. Don't get too carried away. We don't want to go full load Caribbean relaxation here. But we do want to <laughs> just don't get too upset about the small stuff in life. The other thing that I think we all need to to take more to heart, what they do in Italy, is they have this wonderful mix and respect between generations. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be there with my uh, my cousins and my aunts who are now in their in their late 80s, and they're there with their children and their great grandchildren, as well as grandchildren. And it's it's they're listening to the same music, who's tolerating whose music a little bit more, but they've got this tremendous mix and culture and respect for each other. And not to say that we don't in our society, but we don't seem to do it often enough. In Italy, it's that, mm. that multi-generational thing is part of everyday life and it's really beautiful. So slow down, appreciate the things around you and um, have more wine with your meals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. The wine and, and food, Jeff, you know, that's, it's, yeah, yeah. Italians won't have a glass of wine without a meal and they won't have a meal without a glass of wine. Yeah, it's, it's very different when you travel to the Napa providers and they're just serving wine and, and like, okay, where's the cheese? Where's, where's the Parmesan Reggiano with the, uh, with, with what we're serving. So when you, when you've traveled, what's been your favorite, I know it's going to be hard to pin down one, but if you, if the first one that comes to mind, your favorite food and wine experience combined. Uh, you know, it's always at the simplest places. I've been very fortunate to dine at Michelin star restaurants and I adore them. They're great, wonderful experience, mind blowing sometimes, but to me, it's the little simple mom and pop places. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a group, I took a group of sommeliers through Italy a couple of years ago, one of many that I've done over a hundred psalms throughout the 10 years that we were doing these trips and said, you know, let's go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Frascati. And I know that in Frascati itself, so Frascati is sort of like a suburb of Rome, the Castelli Romani, it's on a lake. And a lot of people like to go there. They leave Rome. They leave the heat of Rome, especially in the summer. And they go to Frascati because it's up in the hills. It's got this lake. You can go. And in the evening, they chill. They have a beer and they have porchetta, which is roasted pork. Put the yes. crackling on it and salt and, and all the herbs, rosemary and sage and fennel making myself hungry. Uh, they dine on that in the evening. They have a porchetta sandwich and a beer. They sit at these little kiosks in town or out along the lake, and it's just a wonderful experience. The timing, the way I was trying to coordinate this trip, I couldn't get there for that evening experience. We had a dinner that night that I couldn't miss. So I said, let me try to see if we can go to a kiosk in the evening and there's there, or in the afternoon for lunch. And there's this, I guess you'd call it a bakery uh, it's a forno. So it's a bakery that that bakes their own bread. They have an oven, uh, a coal-fired oven uh, right across from their store. It's one of the most historic buildings in, in the Frascati area. And they sell cookies and pastries and everything else. But they also will make sandwiches for people at lunchtime. And then in the evening, they have their little kiosk. A kiosk but when I say kiosk, I almost mean it's like a little tiny cabin 
with a handful of tables in it. And people would go in there in the evening and just drink beer or wine out of pitchers and have those wonderful pork sandwiches. So I said, you know, can we come for lunch? And they were like, all right. So, you know, I set the time for two o'clock and should we come? You know, is it okay? We're going to be a little bit late. She was like, it doesn't matter. You're going to be the only ones here. Nobody else eats lunch. Maybe a tourist will have a sandwich, but we don't right. usually open up the kiosk. So we went in and we sat down. Now I've got a group of Psalms who worked at some of the top restaurants uh, in the in the country, uh, some of whom have become master Psalms since. And we sat down and picture a pitcher of white wine, a pitcher of red wine, local, fizzy, delicious. Um, just poured out some sliced cold cuts, which was a great start. Then he brought out the porchetta. I said, this is wonderful. Then he brought out a pasta, a matrishana, big, just a big tray of it. And we all helped ourselves, uh, a little bean soup. And then he had some roast, roast lamb for us. It was just incredible, unexpected, off the cup. Mm. And we're sitting at this very informal table in a, if you walk by it during the day or the morning, you might say, oh, that's a dive. But it was the best dive I've ever been in. So local, super local, hyper local experience. And to me, whether that's in Italy, whether it's any region in Italy, or whether it's, you know, I've, I've traveled in Hong Kong and eaten at some of the street food places, the vendors there. Even in, in Tokyo, you got to go down to the bottom floor of the um, department stores and they have food vendors that are, that are basically selling street food. In Germany, you go to the, the, the guy on the corner, even in Switzerland, selling the brats. Um, Street food, delicious, fresh, easy, simple. That's that's what gets me going. Nathan Dodge is drooling up there. I can see him. You know. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so we're we're already trying to figure out what we're doing for Fourth of July next weekend. But uh, you know, love and you and when you talk about dive places, you're you're talking right up our alley. And particularly when they're delivering something unexpected and sounds as delicious as what you just shared with us. So, so let me kind of uh, roll it over to industry a little bit. So we're on that mm-hmm. roll and I'm, I'm just real curious. So, you know, full disclosure, Lars and I were chatting about it this morning and we um, we've been having some amazing conversations with industry on a, the creativity and innovation we're seeing uh, particularly on the beverage side and on the food side and that type of stuff. But uh, my, my question for you, Lars, is, you know, what have you been seeing? Uh, you know, I know you're out in Long Island out there, but what have you been seeing that's kind of going, wow, all right. And what do you think is here to stay? You know, is there something that you see that's going on right now? You say, wait a minute, that's here to stay. And this could be kind of restaurants, but industry as a whole. So unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot of pain, um, a, lot of, a lot of improvisation. I really have newborn respect for people that, reinvent themselves. Restaurateurs, the good guys are doing it. They're doing it. Uh, you know, we got to survive. We got to change modes. We got to be flexible. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people in the industry, a lot of sommeliers, uh Oh, well, you know, there goes my floor job. What am I going to do now? I mean, zoom is a great example of, of reinventing things, uh, working from home, getting things done. So, uh, I'm seeing the places they're following the rules. Uh, the restaurants that are now allowed to start open. So as Brian mentioned, I'm in Huntington. So our restaurants have been open for outdoor dining for about 10 days. And this past week, they were allowed to open the inside of the restaurants for half capacity, 50% capacity. And they're starting to do that. And it's working. You just, you have to be flexible. Uh, You have to get used to eating under a tent in a parking lot. To me, that's fun. That's what Karen and I did last week. And it was kind of cool. Uh, you get used to a disposable menu, which is the way to do it. And it's probably, I don't know, 
Uh, I don't know if it's if it's uh, environmentally perfect, but if they shred it and burn it, maybe that's a good thing. But uh, it's got to be better than a plastic reusable in some ways. So I see a lot of people improvising, trying, you know, wearing the masks, even though it's a pain, serving the tables, keeping the distances and really um, and really kind of improvising. What I think is going to stick is cocktails to go, cocktails to go, wines to go. Uh, they're talking more and more about that. They let the genie out of the bottle. Um, their restaurants have been allowed to do that. They've had to allow them to do that so they can keep some things. Some wine lists are actually, uh, some restaurants are setting up their wine lists with a to-go option, uh, almost like a, a retail type of operation, uh, which is a great opportunity for the consumer because now you can get some of those great wines that were never available at retail. You can find them through these restaurants and you can buy them and bring them home. Uh, as well. Uh, obviously, the goal of the restaurant is for you to enjoy them there, but in a pinch and while things are, you know, closed up and tight, it works. And how are you going to stop them from doing that? And how are you going to stop the consumer from asking for it? I think pretty much most of the states are going to roll with that and say, okay, this is something we have to just chill back on because this has been a really strong, I don't think, I think I'm preaching to the choir here when I say this, it's been a strong impact on everybody on many industries but the one this wine and food industry has been hit tremendously hard and it's had a tremendous impact right up the food chain literally um with wineries with farmers with purveyors any kind of goods that are going to restaurants everybody's reeling from this so we're not going to come out of it fast unfortunately you know new york city downtown in the heart of it they're talking about maybe opening up in september waiting for the theater district, waiting for schools to start. We'll see how it goes then. They were supposed to do out, they, they started outdoor dining. They were supposed to do that 50% indoor. And that was just pushed off because they're, they've seen the experiences that you guys are having in Florida, that they're having in Texas, they're having in California reopening too soon. It's going to be a long road. 2020 is essentially shot. I, I hate to say that because I'm usually an optimist, but I think 2020, uh, you need to have a new set of expectations. And then let's adjust to a new reel in 2021 and uh and hope that i like i said it's going to be a slow recovery but hopefully the good things will last you know it's in a weird way i don't even know if this is a really good analogy but it's the only one i've got uh if you remember all we had to go through after 9-11 with travel how travel changed for us um and then we had the shoe bomber right so then all after that one incident one guy everybody goes to the airport and we all got to take our shoes off and then gradually they loosen it up a little bit with TSA, but it's still there. One little thing. And I think that's what's going to happen with the experiences we're going through now. This is going to change a lot of things in a, on a permanent basis. I don't know. Are we ever going to be able to give high fives again comfortably? Maybe, maybe not. Air, tra air travel is going to change. They got to fill those middle seats, but and you can't do social distancing on an airline, but is there going to be some sort of compromise? True. And, yeah. and, you know, obviously it's, it's urgent right now, but in the long term, listen, I think a lot of people have realized that they're getting fewer common colds because they've been washing more often because of the virus. So I think <laughs> we're going to pick up some better habits that are going to help us, our, our health overall. True. You know, and I agree with that, you know, and also on the wine side, I'm seeing a lot of smart discounting. 
uh, where they realize that they can't get the same markup they had before in the past. But even like coconuts, which you've been to with me many times here in Fort Lauderdale, at 50% off and you can pull up by boat, you know, and they hand it to you. I love that. So yeah. hopefully we'll be able to do that this weekend. So. You know, they don't, there are expenses in the restaurant business, opening a bottle of wine, having that person do that, having the, the apparatus to do it, having the glassware, the stemware, the storage, there's, there's, Fair reason that when a wine is being served in a restaurant, it should be a certain price. But if somebody's passing it over to a boat, yeah, fair reason that it should be discounted, and that's great. I agree with that. So you know, speaking about things that are changing, you know, I'm a wine education nerd like yourself, but I'm always, always been a big creative, over the top type stuff. And you know, we've been doing all of us. You know, I've been doing these different approaches to education. We're all educators. You know, Nathan's been doing bourbon tastings virtually. John's been doing teaching classes weekly. He taught a whole class virtually on culinary. I've been on many of your webinars uh, and seminars you've been doing virtually as well. We all got better at Zoom. That's always our ongoing joke. We've gotten really good at this type of stuff. But, you know, Brian, you we, still cannot make a Zoom call. You don't know how to build one. You keep asking me to do I'm okay, it. So. I'm okay with that. And okay. I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> So it's, that's what I have you for, Nathan. Thank you, sir. And Christina. So my question on that one, Lars, is, is that, you know, I'm seeing the shift. Uh, I'm sure you have. But I think the days of recycled PowerPoints telling the same old over and over again is done. People want new, they want energy. And I'm curious, particularly from you and all the interaction you have with other educators, other sommeliers uh, internationally, what are you seeing? Well, again, I'm, I'm seeing you can't sit when you, you know, when you can't sit on a Zoom and read a speech. It's not good. It's not going to work. You and I share, Brian, a lot, of, a lot of similar tactics when we're up and speaking to a crowd, to whether it's a classroom or a, a, a winemaker dinner, you need to project energy. You got to learn how to do that when you're sitting down. It takes a little bit more. It's a little tougher to do. Uh, I noticed myself, I always knew when I sat down, at a, I always got up when I was sitting on a panel at a live conference, I had to get up to make my presentation so I could get the energy across. Now I'm learning to do that while I'm sitting. Um, the other true, thing, true, true, true. Yeah. The other thing that I think, um, related to that is just in our industry in general, uh, in the wine business and probably in the beer business, we're learning that life can be short and we're learning that getting things around can be expensive. So I truly believe that people say, Oh, with this crisis, you know, people are going to be not drinking the good stuff anymore. They're just going to want to go for, give me something fast and cheap. I don't think so. I don't think so. If I'm, if I'm sitting home and doing takeout and I save some money on that, I'm going to open a good bottle of wine. You know, I'm, I'm drinking a $25 bottle of Val, beautiful single estate Valpolicella at, at, you know, in the afternoon, right at this time. So I think people are going to say, Maybe, maybe I'll drink more wine. Maybe I'll drink less wine. I don't know, but I want that wine to be something interesting and special. And a wine has to have a sense of place and be unique. This Valpolicella, or be it a Chianti, or be it a Burgundy, uh, or be it a Napa Valley Cabernet, I don't want it to taste like something I can get anywhere else in the world. I want it to be unique. I'm willing to pay a, a slight premium for that, like we said before about wine service and whatnot. And it's, it needs to justify the bother, the fuss, the expense of putting it in the bottle, putting it in a container, shipping it around the world. 
don't don't ship house wine around the world. I can get house wine right around the corner. I live on Long Island. We have beautiful wines. I can get great everyday wines. I can get great special occasion wines too. Yeah, but Lawrence, living in Florida, we're not getting good wines down here. That's house wine. So, well, come on, you guys are the sixth borough of New York. <laughs> true. Good point. <laughs> you can get very, it. very true. No, I agree. You know, it's now looking at things a lot differently. It's creating a very unique experience if it's going to be in the classroom setting, in an industry setting, or even that. I used to love doing wine dinners with you. We used to have so much fun doing those because it was a whole new level of, and that's what really what people want. They want that authenticity. Uh, it can't be canned. It can't be the same old, you know what, over and over again. Don't stand up there and give me a commercial. Talk yeah. to me about the people. The here, here to that. I, I, I love that. Uh, all right, Nathan Dodge, you're back in the horse here. Well, you know, so the I remember being a kid going out to restaurants with mom and dad when I was in the '80s, and definitely on cruises. And you had that sommelier that would, was always wearing the, the tuxedo and very polished and, and really knew everything. And now you go to a, a restaurant, it's like, oh, what kind of wines do you have? Or like they show it like white red that's not what i want i want what is the how has the sommelier changed in years and really what what are we looking for now where where are we finding the best sommeliers in the world is that question for me that question was for you mr lars sorry so to me there are two camps on this and i mentioned before when you asked me when chef asked me about my favorite restaurants you know there's the michelin star level fine dining and then there's everyday dining uh and i think the sommelier community has to address both of that. If somebody is walking into a Michelin star fine dining restaurant, they do want their sommelier to come over, maybe not in a tuxedo, but in a nice jacket and tie looking sharp. That's pretty much the uniform today. See the pin on the lapel, you know, they're advancing through the course and you know, they know their stuff. Now, every Psalm that I know loves to travel like we do. And that's why I mentioned earlier, I had those, those what they call enrichment trips was to bring them, to the vineyards and to the wineries and speak to the winemakers. So the sommelier can sit there and say, oh, this is, he doesn't say this is aged for six months in French oak. No, he says the farmer who, made, who raised this found this one particular vineyard and, and he loves that vineyard. His grandfather used to farm it. They start to tell the personal stories and that's the best oh, thing they can do. Because anybody can, it's the 21st century. Anybody can Google how the wine has been aged and the technical aspects of it. But can you tell, can you relate that personal story of it? That's the job of Assam. And whether he's wearing a three-piece suit, those aren't in anymore, are there? Whether he's wearing a jacket or tie, uh, jacket and tie, or frankly, he's in jeans and a t-shirt at a casual place, because casual places will have Psalms too, or qualified people that might be waiting tables, but they're educated as sommeliers. They need to relate to the diners. You, If you walk into a uh, an informal, casual restaurant, you're not going to sell, chances are, you're not going to sell a $5,000 bottle of Burgundy. You might be more likely to sell a a $50 bottle of Valpolicella, but you need to tell the story. And you know what? You might even be able to sell the $50,000 bottle of Burgundy. I don't know. But you need to tell the story. You need to relate to the people. You need to relate to your guests. It doesn't mean getting stuffy. It doesn't mean intimidating people. It's just the opposite. Relate to people. A lot of times, it, it took me a while Right. And I've been in the trade 30 something years when somebody says, oh, we'll send over the sommelier. I go, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. Now I welcome that. So you sit, you talk to them. And if you get the right sommelier, and more often than not, you do. And you can explain to them what you want. You be frank with them. How much do you want to spend? 
and the correct sommelier will know exactly how to address that. Oh, yeah, I understand what you want. I, how, how often do they recognize you, Lars? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> I, I, I thought that would be fun or scary. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Uh, I was at a, I was at um, Compline Wine Bar. Compline? I don't you know if, if um, my friends hear this, they're going to chastise me. But in Napa, there's a beautiful wine bar opened by some dear friends. And I went in to visit them and uh, had a seat and was meeting a, a business acquaintance there. And we're looking at these two guys cross sharing a bottle of a beautiful German Riesling. And um, they had decanted it, poured it into a carafe, uh, which didn't seem strange to me. It's a beautiful aged Riesling. It should be poured into a carafe. And all of a sudden, halfway through, I watched they take and they pour it out of the carafe back into the bottle. I'm like, okay, I, maybe they're going to take it home or something. One guy gets up. The other guy takes the carafe, walks over to me and goes, Lars, I'm Jacob from... Uh, we met a few years ago at Texom, out maybe getting overserved somewhere uh, or getting overeducated somewhere. Either one was likely. Not enough food. That's what it was. Not enough food. Not enough food. And he was like, I thought you'd enjoy having this one. I'm like, wow, thank you. Again, that, that you know, getting recognized is not about being a celebrity. It's about being part of a, I'm, I'm, I want to say fraternity. But that's not the right word. Community. Community, right. though, yeah. This group, this, this common-minded group of people that come together and, and share goals and share passion and share attitude, um, meaning the right attitude toward wine and toward life. Oh, that segue is good for you right there, Dodge. So I, am, I love wine. I'm not a wine guy. I'm a spirits guy. But I, I do like wine. But the only one thing in common that I have with sommeliers is I love Fernet, Fernet Branca. Oh, he's reaching for it. And there it is. It's right in front of him. Wow. So what, what is the obsession with Psalms? You see the, you see the poster Fernet? back there? I do. I did. I said. But what's the obsession with, with Psalms and Fernet? Well, look, in Italy, it's, it's at the end of a big meal. So we always do that. But it became this little, I've been, I've been, Cheers. Cheers. I've been preaching Fernet and, and cutting people's eye teeth on Fernet for years. I think it started as a cult thing in San Francisco. San Francisco was the was Fernet Branca's leading market for many years. Okay. And it was the bartender's uh, handshake. Bartender's handshake. Um, then they started this thing where you have the coin. You have a Fernet Branca coin, and uh, they have a challenge. If you, you know, you somebody goes to get a Fernet, you put, you put your coin down, the next person has to buy. Um, <laughs> Brian will know. And of course he has this all right in front of him. <laughs> I know. That, that's the crazy part. I'm a Fernet. You know me. The, when we land in Italy uh, with these groups of sommeliers or whether it's just a couple of friends, as I did with Brian, uh, as soon as I land, you got from the East Coast, we have an eight-hour flight. You flew through the night. You're all kind of miscombobulated. Your stomach isn't so happy about things. So I take two things. One is a, an espresso, just to, okay, sharpen the edges a little bit. And the other one is a shot of Fernet, just to, there's, a, there's a, an Italian saying that defies translation. Mi sono sistemato. I systemized myself. I got myself together. Uh, and that's what Fernet does. It just kind of settles the stomach down, 
brightens things up, takes a little bit of the edge off of, of the, the the tension of getting into the new place. And it's a cult drink. It's the bartender's handshake. It's an industry thing. Um, now, Lars is drinking the way that I like it. Lars is drinking it straight. Brian likes to drink he, it on the rocks. I know. You know. Well, I only put two ice cubes in it, and I, I still get him cringing when I do that. But that goes back Why to... Why just have Fernet and Bronco Menta then, Brian? Come on. Well, I, oh, uh, I, can't. Uh, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I don't mind tell that. Them, but tell them the secret I taught you, Brian. Oh, remind oh. me what that is, Lars. It's been a long quarantine. <laughs> so I understand you guys are in a... Uh, you know, it's pretty hot and muggy in New York, but you guys have the edge on us right now. So you need something cool and refreshing. You need your Fernet to be crisp and clean. Put in a shaker. Shake it with some ice cubes, rattle it around a little bit, then pour it and drink it neat. Perfect. Mm. You, got, you don't water it down. You don't really water it down. And then you chill it nicely and it's got a little foam to it. Magic. Well, that's why I like getting it over at Anthony's, Col- uh, Anthony's Runway 84 because it's on tap. So it's coming out of the tap cold. Well, that's how I discovered it. Uh, there was a place in Houston called Cobra and Mongoose. Uh, that sounds cool. Very cool. And wood plank picnic tables, 35 taps of different beers, one tap for a, a spirits. And they vary it. And somebody sent me there and said, oh, you have to go there. They have Fernet on tap. I said, I, I never tried that. I've got to try it. I got there. They didn't have it. And they said, all right, we'll take care of you. And I go and they bring me this little frothy thing that looks like a Guinness almost, a little mini Guinness. I'm like, what's this? I, I thought you didn't have it on tap. They said, no, it's Fernet Bronco. Like, what did you do with it? They said, we shakered it, which comes close to the effect of serving it on tap because you chill. Oh, good stuff. Pressurized a little bit. Well, whenever I travel again, Lars, to, to Italy, the first thing I'm going to do when I arrive is to, I already have the espresso, but now I'm going to have the Fernet as well. Add the Fernet. Shaken. Shaken. Right, so... And I'm looking for these Fernet coins online, and I'm finding for about 30 bucks on uh, eBay. So it'll be in my, my hand by next week. Absolutely. Of course. Of course it will. Well, me and the guys have all been jonesing trying to figure out where we're going to go next when all this stuff settles down. And I know you are well-traveled in Italy, but what is your next go-to destination when you have the ability to do so? for food and wine. Ah, okay. Um, first of all, that's the s- scene at the Milan airport behind me, uh, landing with, I think there's Betty. Nice. That's what it looks like when I land in Italy. Um, so love, love, love España, Spain, um, because you can get a lot of those more. We were talking before about the hole in the walls, the, the rustic places. Uh, outside of Barcelona, if you get away from the Ramblas, with all due respect to it, you get up into the, the, the hills, up into the student area, and you find these great places like Bodega La Josefa. Uh, Karen, my, my wife and I were there, and we were the only non-locals um, there. So not even non-American, only non-locals there. Uh, and it's the guy just, you know, threw the forks down. This is what we have, shared plates. Um, you know, what do you want to eat? There were four, three or four choices and the, the red wine and the white, the red wine came out of a barrel, right? He had a little hose there and filled up the, he filled up old, um, tequila bottles. What's the square bottle with the big wood thing over there? Don Julio, maybe bottles that he had filled up with his black Spanish wine. And then, um, the white he had in, again, similarly recycled white bottles in, uh, screw top bottles that he kept in the fridge. So love Spain. Off the beaten path, Germany, Austria, again, if you go into 
some of the lesser known places uh, in France. I love Nice mm. um, because it's it's you know they were Italian once. <laughs> The the Piedmontese kingdom stretched over and they gave away part of their soul to get the French to let them unite Italy. But, you know, I did a lot of traveling in Asia. Uh, work brought me there. I, I And I don't necessarily have it that close on my list that I want to go there, a more European file. Um, but I like, going, you know, a couple of years ago, I went to Alabama and had a great time eating informal places. That whole food scene there is growing. And, and they have a great respect for the local traditions. Uh, I don't want to go to Alabama and have a steak necessarily. Omaha. No, stick to the, stick to the barbecue and dreamland and, and get, get that. Uh, yeah, I used to have some responsibility over that area. So I traveled there quite a bit. So cool. Love it. It's anywhere the- in the States. You know, you go, you go down to south of la and you go to some of those great taco places that are that are there outside of la it's just there's Ooh, yeah that whole idea of street food so you know right now um oh million thoughts going on right here uh right now i think for a while we're going to be close to home unfortunately certainly for the rest of this year uh so when i do go back I, when i do start to travel again i'm going to need my fix of italy to get back into that but what i enjoy most when i go to italy is getting out of my comfort zone I know Tuscany like the back of my hand. I love it. I know Verona. Uh, I know Piedmont. Now, I just started exploring Abruzzo, whole different area. The Marche, uh, Molise, Campania, uh, parts of Sicily, undiscovered. They haven't seen a lot of tourists. They haven't seen very many American tourists, but they love it. And they're, they're, you can find so much more authentic. Parts of Abruzzo remind me of the Italy that I fell in love with outside of Rome 30 years ago. 20, 30 years ago. Not to say they're behind, but they're still very authentic. They haven't been overwhelmed by tourists. So it doesn't matter where I go. I'm always going to look for the real deal, authentic food. So that's the best segue I've got coming up. So uh, Lars, uh, for this last round, we we started, uh, because I know you've been listening to all of our podcasts, uh, but we started a a fun little tradition that we call the the speed rail. uh, And it's literally this or that questions. And we've been customizing them for every guest we have. So today's edition is called The Italian Job. So these are going to be, and of course, the, the boys get involved here uh, as well. Uh, and I kind of open it up to them every once in a while. But there's a few of them that you can kind of tell they're very much customized for yours truly there for you, Mr. Lars. So everyone kind of give a little stretch out here a little bit, stretch it out. You know, there you go. All right. We're getting ready here. Oh, I hurt. Right. Oh, my God. I hurt. I hurt. Okay. That's right. Well, that's what happens when you don't leave that room for a while, Dad. You're like veal. Yeah, yeah. You know, even he looks far too comfortable in that room, doesn't he? <laughs> He's starting to stick to the chair. Is that weird? Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. All right. Let's get it going with the, the speed rail here. So uh, breakfast wine, Mr. Lars. Prosecco or Cortese? Gavi? Cortese. Oh, I'm right there with you. Those guys that don't because know. I'd have to make a, I'd have to, I'd have to ask more questions about which Prosecco it is. True. All right. So we're going with Cortese. Chances are you're going to be a small grower. Good. So Gavi de Gavi is the place for him. I love delicious Hill Select Prosecco. All right. Lunch wine. Where are we going? Vermentino or Vernaccia? Vernaccia de San Gimignano. Vernaccia. I drink a lot of Vermentino. I love it. But Vernaccia is, again, going to be a little bit less commercial. It's got that little nutty finish to it. A little bit more mountain wine. Nothing wrong with the coastal wines of Vermentino. Love them too. But Vernaccia... Nowadays, chances are you're going to get a small grower of Vernaccia more than you get a small grower of Vermentino. I love like, it. 
Love it. All right, boys, this is an open up to you because now we're moving into aperitifo. All right, the aperitifo section is going to be an Aperol Spritz or a Negroni. How many more stops do I have during the day? Exactly. Well, it's aperitifo. You're already kind of uh, in your leisure clothes. You're getting ready for dinner. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the aperitifo is basically the Italian happy hour. Uh, so uh, what are we drinking on, either the Spritz or the Negroni? So... Again, two factors here. First of all, I'm going to say I'm going to say Negroni first, but that's the hardest choice of all of them that you've given me so far. Oh, just because wait. I do enjoy a Campari, a well-made Campari spritz on a hot day, sitting outside. Lovely, great way, refreshing, clean, crisp start. I first discovered them in Verona during Vin Italy, probably about 15 years ago. Uh, we make them here. Karen loves them. I have a lot of respect for them. It's light because your alcohol is a little bit of prosecco and a little bit of Aperol, which is about nine, ten percent, right? And then some spritz, some club soda. So light, refreshing, easy. You can have a couple of them. And have yeah, but if you've got like four or five of them while walking from A to B on South Beach, it's not a good day. Trust you me. haven't eaten enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I see a t-shirt being made for Don. <laughs> I haven't eaten enough. You know, that's story yeah, of his life. For, the and for me, it's a time pl- for every play, you know, time for everything. And with all the weather, as you pointed out, Lars, it's hot. I want that Aperol Spritz, the uh, nice, light, refreshing cocktail. I had a uh, long day the other day, and I needed a Negroni. But um, I made it the way, if you need the Negroni, you got to be really careful, meaning I need a refreshment, I need a kick. So I don't drink Negroni on ice anymore because the same thing. It becomes a little too easy. Mm. Uh, ice melts down a little bit. Oh, that was delicious. And then you have... Well, I'll have another one, right? It goes down easy, then you go down easy. So I have it shakered. Shaker it. trend. Serving a trend. And what it does is it reminds you it's going to kick your butt. But Very you true. Like a martini. Ooh. Because so, it's all alcohol, like a martini, right? Oh, just as much alcohol. You got the gin and everything. Yeah, no. Gin, vermouth, yeah. and Campari. All so, alcohol, all high, high, high test. So now we're moving on to Sunday dinner. You see, I got to keep this thing going here, all right? But we're not in Tuscany. All right. We're up in Piemonte and I'm going to go two of my favorites, sleepers, Delcetto or Barbera. Which part of Piedmont? Oh, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's a salmon. Del, Delcetto or Barbera. Which way are you go? Sunday going? dinner. Sunday dinner is going to be Barbera. I love it. I love it. I agree with that a lot. Sunday lunch, Delcetto. But I love them both. You know, they're great sleepers. All right. These are for our course for uh, our fine Italian Americans we have on our. Uh, podcast today uh chef massey and of course uh, mr lars all right dean martin or frank sinatra frank sinatra sinatra please okay i love dino though i love, I love dino. dino well yeah, you're not you're, you're not there dodge you know you're from I'm not i'm not i have zero italian italian in me so please 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 now all right then uh, we'll start this out with nathan lamborghini or ferrari lamborghini lamborghini chef massey Enzo Ferrari. Ah, I love it. I love it. All right, Lorenzo. Lamborghini. Can I tell you why? Yes. You know the story behind Lamborghini? Besides the tractors? Yeah. He was a farmer and he made his own tractors and he was working for Ferrari. I don't know if he was working for Ferrari, whatever. They were neighbors and whatnot. And he went to Ferrari and he said, listen, your gearbox is all wrong. Okay. You need this kind of gearbox. You need it to work this way. And Ferrari said to him, you're a peasant. Go back and drive your tractors. And Lamborghini said, oh, yeah, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to take those gearboxes and put them into my own car, and I'm going to kick your butt. 
And that's how Lamborghini was born because Ferrari dissed him. He went and started the Lamborghini. I think that's a cool story. There you go. That is a cool story. Two, Actually, two, if I'm going to pick between Lamborghini and Ferrari, I'm going for Corvette. Just throwing that out there. All right. Welcome to the uh, United please. States. You got <laughs> it. All right. We'll make this one nice and easy, right? The Godfather or Goodfellas? Which one we got, Mr. Lars? Godfather or Goodfellas? Goodfellas, 21st century. I've there seen you the go. too many times. There you go. John Noble Massey. I'm old school Godfather. Best movie ever made, period. Oh, look at that. All right. Nathan Eugene Dodge. Yes. That's a good fellas. Good fellas. It is the Eugene. I'm going to go for good fellas on this one. Uh, I'm going with, uh, I, I'm going to go Godfather on that one because I think it's, again, it's just a, so the last one of the speed rail tonight. Uh, and of course, uh, Lars is a big fan of the final final, which we, uh, we all know that's going to be our final drink of the evening now. But the loophole is, is we're removing Fernet. You can't have a Fernet. So we're also going to, so that's going to remove the Amato category from your world. The whole category route. Yeah. No so, problem. No problem. All right. So hold that thought, put a pin in it. Nathan Dodge, final, final, can't be Fernet. Should be a glass of water. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> that would be the smart side of your brain, but we know. That would be the really smart side. We're going to use Oh God, I don't know. Um, come back to me after John. All right. John Noble Massey. Well, I'm, I was watching the American the other day and the, the, the lead character is having a, an after dinner beverage with his priest and he's drinking brandy and says the only good thing that the French ever gave the Italians. So I'll stick with brandy. Wow. Look at I'll that. I'll do Grand Manier. I'll stick okay. with Grand Manier. All yeah. right. All right. Grand Manier. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Mr. Lars, what do you got? Final, final. That's not going to be in the Amaro family. You guys like hangovers, huh? <laughs> we do Grappa, baby. Uh, I knew that one. Oh, yeah, Grappa. Clean, chilled, not chilled, white, not barrel-aged. That's my preference. Grappa, clean. There's no sugars in it. It it has the same effect as a digestivo. Helps digest. Either that or it's an anesthetic. I don't know yet. Exactly, yeah. It's like lighter fluid. I put Grappa with the same level where I put tequila. I just, Not supermarket Grappa. (laughs) Yeah, Good stuff, yeah. So I'll bring in my, my own heritage. I'm going to go with the Irish coffee uh, for my final, final. Thank you, Lars. Yeah, for my final, final, that would be thrown out there. But good. That's our speed rail. Mr. Lars Light, thank you so much for joining us. Yay! Yay. Um, the story master himself is here. Closing thoughts, Mr. Nathan Dodd. Uh, closing thoughts. Thanks for listening this week. Please reach out to our Facebook page, Two Bar Stools and a Knife, if you have not done so yet. Ask any questions you have there. Um, if you want to be a guest, reach us, reach us on uh, our Facebook page. We're, we're looking for guests all the time. Um, also, if you haven't done don't, so. Don't read. Don't read. <laughs> sorry, I've been reading. Um, subscribe to us on wherever you find podcasts. Leave us a review on iTunes or... Um, what else am I missing? I guess that's it. All Besides good. John Noble Massey, any closing thoughts? Now, everyone have a happy and healthy and safe 4th of July weekend coming up. Perfect. Definitely safe. No fingers blown off this weekend, please. There you go. Thank Mr. You. Lars Light, any goodbye thoughts, sir? Always a pleasure to see you. Keep frenetting. <laughs> Keep frenetting. And there's, frenetting. The new, there's the new Lars T-shirt, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Keep frenetting and feed Nathan Dodge. So thank you guys very much. And, of course, if you want to learn anything more about the Bacardi Center of Excellence, uh, feel free to reach out to me at bconnors at fiu.edu or, of course, uh, talk to one of your advisors. Until next time, be safe, everybody. <laughs>